candidly recalling his zeal when first saved. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. When I came to the Bible, I was introduced to the book of James very early on, and I made it my life book, man. I'm going to do for God. And I remember just being so excited about it and ready to drop James on my wife. She needed it. <laughs> that was my attitude. I say, hey, babe, you know what? The Bible says that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do. And I read it to her, and she's like, you know what? You're messed up. What are you talking to me like that for? And I was out of balance. I really was. I was out of balance. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. It's good to be zealous for the Lord, but wisdom and knowledge are needed as well. Having one without the other will hinder us from striking the right balance in life and ministry. Hello and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We continue today in Romans 12, verse 1, and we'll be reminded that God is faithful even when we fail. But if we're to live the right way, we'll need the right instructions. Here now with more on this very practical truth is Pastor Ed. Our rightness before God is not based on what we have done or what we do, but based on what Jesus has done for us. Not a list of rules and regulations, but truly a lifestyle of relationship with a God who loves us. Now, a trap that's easy to fall into is this idea of, I will try harder next time. It is a, it is a trap that if you fall into it, it is horrible. I'll try harder. Let's just say you had a bad week this week. And you're really bummed out about yourself and your Christianity. And as you analyze and even pray through it, you're even, even repentant. Like you've dealt with it. And now it's time to move on. If you're not careful, the time to move on will be, well, I'll try harder for you, Lord. You know what? I'll try harder next time. That's kind of ingrained in us from a, little, from a young age, isn't it? I'll try harder. I, I just really want to please you, Lord. So I'm going to go for it. You know, God, I will read my Bible more this week. I think that'll help. I, I really want you to know I'm serious here. I'm going to read more this week for you, Lord, because my, this last week was horrible. You know, God, and not only will I, I am going to pray more. I mean, I am going to pray a lot more. I'm going to turn the radio off. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to pray, pray, pray. God, I want you to know I'm serious. You know what, Lord? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church more. I know they do things all throughout the week, and it's not just going to be Sunday for me anymore. I'm going on Wednesday. I'm going to try to see what that's going on on Thursday. I know they got something going on at Home Fellowship on Monday. I mean, I am going to be there. God, I want you to know that I'm trying hard for you. And then it sort of gives you a sense of things are okay, doesn't it? Because you're trying harder, and you're really going for it. But do you realize what you've just done? You've put your relationship with God all on your shoulders and all in your good deeds. And so, okay, you have a good week. You have prayed 62 and a half hours, one minute shy. You know how you know? You've been writing it down. <laughs> 15 minutes here, six minutes here, half a second here, and you've been adding it up. 
Because that's how you're measuring out. I, I really, man, my prayer life was great. But you're going to be really messed up next week when you're sick and you're laid out in bed and you're sleeping all those hours instead of praying because now you're relating to God. My, my prayer life's real cool, but now something's happened. You can't pray as much. Or you really read this week and you've caught up on all the yearly reading and, and you've read a couple extra and, and you've even highlighted. you got a new highlighter and now it's green. Every time you read green, 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 and then man, there's like 20 pages this week. It's all green. But what happens next week when you go to the eye doctor and you find out, you know, you got to wear these dark glasses and you really can't be in bright light and, and, and you're not going to be able to read as much this week. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. That can't happen, doc. You got to give me my sight back. I got to read. I got to catch up. I got to stay up. And it's a trap. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do harder. Does God delight in our prayer lives? Oh, yeah. He loves to talk to us. Does he delight in us seeking his face through Bible study and Bible reading? Oh, yes. Does he take great joy when his saints gather together and worship him and praise his name and grow in his grace? Oh, yes. But it is not the means by which he relates to you and me. He relates to you and me not in what we do, but in what he has already done. And you say, wait a minute, Ed, that, that doesn't sound like James. Because I remember James talking a lot about works. You're right. Let's go over to James, James chapter 2. Hmm. Sounds like the early apostles were a little contradictory. You might even come up against a person that says, oh, I found a contradiction in the Bible. Really? Really? Where? And by the way, anybody says that to you? Oh, I don't read the Bible because there's a lot of contradictions. Here's your answer. Show me one. Show me one. Just open it up. Oh, I've never read the Bible. What? That's a contradiction, bro, right there. You telling me there's contradictions. You never even read the thing. So... That's a simple answer. Don't be thrown off with some of these questions. And so maybe someone will. They'll say, well, take your Bible, because they don't have one. Take your Bible, James chapter 2. And so they'll take you to James chapter 2, and they'll want us to read through verse 14. Because there is an emphasis. You know, when I was a new believer, when I was a new believer, James was my favorite book of the Bible. It was just really resonated with my heart. Just the kind of guy that I am. A lot of action, a lot of activity, love to do, do, do. When I came to the Bible, I was introduced to the book of James very early on, and I made it my life book, man. I'm going to do for God. And I remember just being so excited about it and ready to drop James on my wife, man. She needed it. <laughs> that was my attitude. I say, hey, babe, you know what? The Bible says that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do. And I read it to her, and she was like, you know what? You're messed up. What are you talking to me like that for? And I was out of balance. I really was. I was out of balance. James is true when he says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you know that James is 100% correct? He is absolutely spot on target here. Faith without works is dead. And so never misunderstand grace as an excuse for not having works in your life. 
Now, the place that people think that James contradicts Paul, for example, would be back in Ephesians. Would you turn back to Ephesians chapter 2? This is a book of the Bible that I'm sure most of you, this section, you know, you probably memorize these verses. From James' perspective, it really sounds like that you work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying, but it sounds that way. If you're not careful, you might walk away from James and say, you know, you can relate your salvation with God by, how, by your works and how much works you have. You might be closer to God with more works and farther from God with less works. But when you look at Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And then verse 9 says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we have learned time and time again, and it's worth repeating, that if our salvation depended upon good works, how much is really enough? How much would be enough to satisfy every single individual? How much would enough be? I mean, if salvation depended upon church attendance, just how many times do you need to be in the place? How many times is enough? I mean, if salvation depended upon how many candles you lit in your life, how many candles is enough? You're never really sure. I mean, if your salvation depended upon how many good deeds you did or all the things that we might be able to measure, we have to ask the question, well, how much is enough? And Jesus, he answers that question. I'm enough. My price, the life that I give, is enough for you. And we're not saved by our works. You see, the problem between James and Ephesians chapter 2, Paul there, is not really a problem at all. They're saying the same thing from two different perspectives. They're not contradictory. Rather, they're complementary. They go together. Paul, he writes about your entry into salvation. We enter into a relationship, a right relationship with God by receiving his free gift. That's how we enter in. And then Brother James comes along and he says, well, this is how you express your faith. This is what it looks like. There are works in your life. You actually care about people that are poor, that are destitute. As a Christian now, we have the privilege and the honor and the desire to stand up for those that can't speak for themselves to adopt into families the orphan, to be a support and an encouragement to the widow, to care for the families that have men and women deployed in the military. You care now. Why? Because you're a Christian. Because you have Jesus Christ living in your life. Like you're there walking on the high school there, you high schoolers. You're just kind of walking on campus, and you actually care about the kid that's being picked on now. You might even care so much, you go and break it up. You say, forget this. Will you guys stop this? Leave this guy alone. He hasn't done anything to you. And you're willing now as a Christian to jeopardize all of your relationships with everyone on campus, which, by the way, won't happen because people love integrity. They may not say it, but they love integrity. We love to see people stand up for what is right. And whether it's on the high school campus or it's at college or it's at work, when you stand up for righteousness in a loving way, it's because... That work of Jesus Christ is flowing through your life in good works. Not saved by works, but we're saved for works. Because that's what Paul says in verse 10, back in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And so there really is no contradiction at all. They're complementing one another. Paul speaks about the entry. James speaks about the expression. But if you don't grasp this truth, you may be sidetracked by those that always have a way to answer. And they'll take you to James, and their answer, well, there'll be groups all throughout that we meet from time to time that will offer you a salvation that's based on works. There's a lot of them out there. I would dare say millions of them. Cults and false teachers that come to you and say, you know, here, 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 you're really struggling with works? Let me give you. Here, let me fill that void in your life. You know, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and Sabbath worship. That's how you're saved. You better make sure that you worship on Saturday. And I was just sharing that yesterday and like, here we are on Saturday night, you know, worshiping. So we're cool. We worship on Saturday here at Calvary. We worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all throughout the week. Our life is a life of worship. So as Jesus is our Sabbath, we find our rest in him. He's the perfect fulfillment of the law. But some will say, that's how you're saved. Or, or you know, you're saved by believing in Jesus Christ and making sure that you're in the right church. Ooh, right church. Am I in the right church? Well, where do you go? Well, we go to such and such. Oh, no, no. You need to be saved and be in the right church. And guess what they'll say? We are the right church. We're the only church in town. We are it. And you can be saved by your faith in Jesus Christ, but you got to make sure you're in the right church. Oh, the church is a lot larger than a couple walls. You know that? Some brick and mortar. It's much larger. It's worldwide. You can fellowship with believers in any part of this globe. It's so cool. You know, others will offer you say, well, you can be saved if you believe in Jesus Christ and you go to a particular temple and you go through particular rituals and you make sure that you follow through and you're baptized this way and you got this kind of water and you're dunked three times backwards, four times frontwards on your left and on your side. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. It's not that way at all. You know, if we were to take Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by what? What does your Bible say? You're saved by grace. And then in verse 9 it says, it is not of works. Not saved by works, say for works. Just remember that. Because again, when we get into Romans now, for the, not, the extent of our time in Romans, we're going to be talking a lot about action, a lot about duty, a lot about our behavior. And I don't want you to misunderstand that it's balanced by the first 11 chapters that we've studied of all that God has done for us. It's all of his work for us so that now our response is, oh God, take my life and use it. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, those two verses cover Romans chapters 1 through 11. All of Romans chapter 1 through 11 could be summarized in a way through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Then in verse 10, really covers the second half of Romans. From Romans chapter 12 through verse 15, we are saved now because we're his workmanship. We're his poema. He's writing out this beautiful poem, and he's including you and me. We get this privilege to be used by God, and he's writing it out in our lives where our lives might have been going nowhere before. Now they're going somewhere because of Jesus. It's crazy. It's so wonderful to think of what God continues to do and still wants to do in and through you and for you. Huh. 
So who are his workmanship? We're created in Christ for good works. And this strong appeal of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Maybe it's just something you think on this week. That you want your ears to perk up when somebody begs you for something. Especially when it relates to Jesus. I beg you. I want you to consider this. I want you to receive this. I want you to be ready for this. I want you to prepare yourself for it. I want you to just block out everything else that's going on in your life so that we can sit at the feet of Paul and say, Paul, as the Holy Spirit inspires him, what do you want me to hear? What are you begging me for? Why is it so important to you? Why is it something that you've paused now and you've said with passion and compassion that you're begging me to listen to you? And so for all the time that we spent in Romans now, it's building up to this wonderful launch pad. And I really believe in this section of Romans, many of you are going to be radically changed in your minds and in your hearts as it relates to serving Jesus Christ. You're going to see its importance. You're going to see the joy. You're going to see what a pleasure it is. Your life is going to, you're going to be able to see all the things that are going on in your life. And it's going to bless you. I got one of those this week. I, I get it many times from you guys. You guys email me all the time or you'll talk to me, you'll call, you'll come up after a service and you'll just share the wonderful things that are going on in your life. And I so appreciate that. It's so cool. Of all the things that I get to be a privilege, I have the privilege of being a part of your life, a part of your family, a part of watching you work through things and grow in things and, and fall down and get up. It's just so wonderful. But at the men's retreat, after I taught, I had a session in the morning. And I taught a message which was very strong. You know, when you get guys together, man, you just, you get strong, man. Exhortation, challenging, stirring. And I did. I believe that was God's heart for me in the section that God gave me where it was a strong, stirring, challenging message for our men. And after the message, people came up and and I prayed with different people and it was great and it was wonderful. But this one guy catches me as I'm walking up the stairs to go back to where I was sitting way in the back and and you could just tell in this brother, man, that he is lit up for the things of God. You could just, it's just one of those times where you could just see it on his face. It's like the glory of God. He's glowing right there on the stairs, man. It was just unbelievable. You could just see this guy. He's not coming for me to pray about something. He's not coming because something on his heart. He's not coming because he's wrestling or struggling. He's just coming. I don't know why he was coming, but I could tell it wasn't difficult. And as he came up and he shared, he looked me in the eye and he said, Pastor Ed, do you remember you know, six months ago or so when you were in Vail teaching. And I said, yeah, man, it was a great time and, and, and I had a lot of fun there. And, and he looked me in the eye and he says, well, that time that you were in Vail, I got saved that day. And I go, really? You got saved that day? And he says, yeah. And I said, you're still walking with Jesus now six months later. And he says, yeah, Pastor Ed, I am fully committed to the things of God. Amen. Amen. Listen, you may not see the fruit of your ministry right now. You may not see what's going on behind a person's heart or things that are happening right now where you're just being faithful, you're just sharing, uh, you're just loving on someone. You may not see the fruit for six months, for nine months, for five years, for ten years, but let me just say this. The Bible says that what you sow is what you'll reap. We often take that like a negative thing, right? And it can be. It's like a warning, but it's also very positive. You're just sowing into the spiritual things, 
loving people, being used of God, then listen, friend, you're going to reap. You're going to reap everlasting. It's going to be a joy, everlasting life. And so as we jump into Romans 12 here in the next few weeks, and God just begins to stir us in showing us what it looks like of the gospel lived out in our lives. And he's going to get very, very general here in the beginning, and then he's going to move to very specific things. He's going to talk about our spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about our responsibility with human government. He's going to walk through all sorts of neat things. Be prepared. Be ready. Be open that the Holy Spirit would radically change your mind and your heart. With that encouragement to be open and expectant, we'll draw today's abounding grace to a close. The Lord is on the move, and He wants you to be a part of it. Pastor Ed Taylor is in Romans chapter 12. And if you'd like to give this a second listen, you have a couple of options. First, you can access the program online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or do so through your mobile device by downloading our free app. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Well, Pastor Ed, as you know, it's easy to fixate on the negative when it comes to the pandemic. And the media certainly doesn't help. So I was wondering if you'd take a moment to share some of the positive outcomes. What have you seen God do in and through the lives of his people recently? Well, you know, Larry, they say like a computer, our minds are very similar. If we put garbage in, uh, garbage comes out. And if we put good in, uh, good comes out. And you don't, we don't have to compare ourselves to computers because the Bible says as much. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, to, with thanksgiving, let our request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. So I was just thinking uh, through this question, I think the first part of it is really be limited on the kind of news that you take in, because it's just constantly overwhelming, and I can tell the difference in my own life when I'm fixated on the news and on the crisis and all the different opinions it's just overwhelming. Setting that aside, you know, what have I seen God do in and through the lives of the people recently? Uh, we have seen, and not only in our church, but throughout the family of churches that we're a part of, and I'm certain all Bible-teaching churches, we've seen a tremendous amount of, of commitments and uh, surrenders to the Lord, uh, what, what Jesus would call being born again. Um, while we don't know specifically the heart of any man or woman, uh, we can see the outward decisions, and we can see the outward commitments, and we've seen a lot of people uh, desperate for the things of God. We opened up a 24-hour prayer line here as well, uh, and so you're listening to me right now. You can send a prayer request to us wherever you are, anywhere in the world, any time of the day, 720-336-0897. And it's through that prayer line, Larry, that we have seen a lot of deep ministry going on in the hearts of people. Uh, a lot of, and, and, and it's sometimes veiled through the struggles and the difficulties, but it's in the struggles and the difficulties, really what God is revealing in the hearts and minds of men and women that he is then able to surface and then deal with spiritually. Uh, a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of difficulty has yielded a lot of fruit a lot of peace, a lot of patience, a lot of victory, uh, a lot of joy. Uh, and so there's been a, a tremendous amount of good that's come out of the bad. And I believe there's a lot that we haven't even seen yet 
I believe that there's, it's, it's like anything. When you plant a seed, it takes time for it to die and then to sprout up and to grow. And a lot of seeds are being planted during this time. And it's going to take some time, but there's going to be ongoing fruit from this very difficult situation. That's very encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. With the COVID-19 pandemic going on, you might have a little extra time on your hands these days as you're at home. Why not pull out a good book that can build you up in the Lord? We'd like to suggest A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.